Brown victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Well, no sooner had Marcelo Bielsa been given his marching orders from Leeds United that the vultures began circling, the Australian football fans began licking their lips and wondering what might have been and what might be. Thinking back to that fateful 2017 decision to appoint Bert van Marwijk in his place. He's a 66-year-old with serious burnout. Uh, I know there's, you know, a few washed-up Australian football managers floating around, but even uh, considering how things have gone south at Leeds, Australian football could do worse uh, with a new World Cup qualifying cycle on the horizon. Josh Parrish here with Jason Goldsmith. Jason, what did you make of the uh, Marcelo Bielsa chat that has exploded in the last 48 hours? G'day, Josh. Nice to be back. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think there was uh, – we went the very conservative route of the of the Dutch coach at the last World mm. Cup. It was only going to be in there for the lead-up friendlies, and there was talk that Bielsa is a bit of a maverick, does things his own way, and we and he was in the mix. Craig Foster, obviously a massive fan and has watched him previously. And um, it didn't happen. We went the conservative route. We got a draw and, and that's about all that we got out of the, out of the World Cup. So it, it didn't work and maybe we need to try something new. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I guess we get excited because he's available again. But I think the equation has changed somewhat for Bielsa over those years, even if you know things did go poorly at the end at, at Leeds and, and he was sacked. You know, I've never seen such an outpouring of emotion for a manager who's been on such a, a losing streak. Well, he's so well loved with the Leeds faithful because uh, their their squad is basically there's only two additions from a championship mm. squad. So he, he took them from mid table all the way up to promotion, and all the way through held on last season. And um, yeah, it's going south now. But they love what he's done and his approach. I think the real questions are, you know, which journalist is going to ask him if he could be called Ozzy Marcello? <laughs> And instead of Aussie sit- Mark <laughs> or Mark, and instead of a bucket, what would he sit on? Would he need to? We need to wheel out um, Paddy Kisner or those uh, Esky from the A <laughs> League finals. Maybe have that little Aussie slant on it because I'm not sure how the the mainstream media will go um, dealing with an interpreter. But um, mm. yeah, I, it's 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 probably pretty far fetched to be honest. I think uh, we know football Australia is quite conservative. Graham Arnold's got a couple of uh, qualifiers to go before we work out where we are, if we are in a playoff mix, and, and then go down that track. Yeah, it, I also don't think you'd come cheap. Uh, a notoriously cash-strapped federation going with the big name, who's an even bigger name than he was when he was allegedly in the mix yeah, that's right. so, five years ago. I don't know. Um, look, I don't think we have the money to throw around at the moment. There's no wealthy benefactor Um running the show like in previous regimes. So it'll be an interesting one. I, I guess there's a lot to play out before that even becomes a consideration. And I don't think, to be honest, Football Australia would be considering it at this stage. No, I, I think it, it does seem like dreamland to me at the moment. I mean, obviously, if he's interested, you go for him um, and, you, and you look at and see how the numbers stack up. But I, I just don't know why he would come here. 
he's a manager who wants everything a certain way, and if he doesn't get certain concessions from uh, the people running the joint, then he doesn't hesitate to just break his contract and walk out. You know, mm. he resigned at Lille after about three weeks. And that's the, the time at which he was linked with the job, and maybe they thought, oh, this guy's a bit unpredictable. We need a safe pair of hands here. Yeah. I, we, well, I mean, imagine him looking at the state of Australian football. Imagine what he'd think. Imagine him on this show. We're talking about <laughs> some of the things that we've spoken about and some things that get raised every every week. You know, should you cap Volpato? Should you, um, <laughs> all, all those kinds of issues would be fantastic. Look, uh, I, I guess he's had a pretty rough – not mm. rough. He's probably had a pretty pretty good time with Leeds. Um, he's going to be remembered fondly. The, that that emotion you talked about was great. He's got a lot of fans, but I think it's just a, and w- maybe depending on this World Cup qualifying campaign, right? Say we get to the mm-hmm. third place playoff, and, and say we make that through, and then we fall at the last hurdle against the the South American one. Is that is it then that we say right? We need someone for four years, or do we need someone like Hiddink was brought in just to get through the final qualification stage, and then to the World Cup and nothing else? Because I mean, Hiddick in 2006 become quite mythical, hasn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, he did, the you know, the greatest achievement in a World Cup for us to make it through to the, the round of 16. So it hasn't been happened before or since. But he was only, he only took control of us for what, less than 10 games, really. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was uh, very much a mercenary arrangement. Mm. You know, he, he came in just for the tournament, just to get us there and to coach us at the World Cup. What he did, he, I think he went to, did he go to Solomon Island? So there was a home and away for that one. Yep. And then there was the, obviously the Uruguay home and away. So that's and there was four, a couple of friendly Greece games. Greece here and then I think Holland. So what's that, six mm. and then the four at the World Cup. So 10 games and, the, and he's <laughs> he's elevated to like the, the greatest we've got. So, But on the, on the other side of it as well, I mean, we're way too conservative. How good would it be to have a character like Bielsa, like a, a character in world football, like hitting put the mm. soccer is on the map, you know, more so than, than anyone else. So um, that that would be pretty handy, I would think. But to be honest, it's a, it's a long way to go. A couple of qualifiers at the end of this month and then that will get all rushed through with the playoffs if we uh, happen to be successful and go through there. I find him really refreshing because he never blames anyone but himself. He's so... He's so refreshingly honest and doesn't deflect whatsoever. He never blames a referee. He never blames factors outside of his control. He's always just reflecting on what he could have done differently, what his team could have done differently. Yeah, and that's what they talk about and how respectful he mm. is, which is probably goes against the, the stereotype of the yeah, Dutch. Of, logo. <laughs> of the Dutch that, um, oh, true, that, yeah. that we have had previously, you know. So they, ha- they have a... Uh, I don't know if it's unfounded or founded um, reputation. As um, uh, Dutch people are very direct. <laughs> correct. Yeah, that's it. Frank. We'll call him Frank. But okay. that's it. So he's, um, yes, he, he takes it all himself, takes all responsibility, which is quite, uh, it's quite unique, not deflecting any attention from, from his boys and what he's doing. Just before the show, I was having a quick Marcelo Bielsa Google and uh, this, this this story came up that I've, I've heard before, but it, uh, I always like it. It was the 1999 Copper America game where Argentina lost 3-0 and uh, it was the only game in which someone's missed three penalties. If you remember, Martin Palermo took all three and missed all three. Don't remember that. Um, he, he was the Argentinian forward with the with the blonde yeah. uh, frosted tips in his hair. I think he eventually went 
to the 2010 World Cup with Maradona as well is brought back into the fold. Uh, but uh, in the press conference afterwards, as, as the legendary South American football journalist Tim Vickery writes, in the press conference, uh, Bielsa sat staring into space, refusing to make eye contact with anyone. His usual stance. He was asked what he had made of the referee's performance. If the question was predictable, the answer was anything but. One doesn't usually have the habit of commenting on referees, but leaving the, everyone to believe he would continue with a rant about a joker running amok with a whistle. Instead, he proceeded with, but in respect of my expulsion, because he was red carded from the <laughs> sideline, the referee was absolutely correct because I protested in an ill-mannered form. <laughs> <laughs> so polite, so polite. I know, amazing. And, yeah. and so thoughtful about his own <laughs> conduct, you know. Yeah, he's. <laughs> it was it was very funny with the Spygate thing, which is often holding it up against him as you know a contradiction of this image that Leeds fans have of him. He was thinking, well, he's not technically against the rules, and I did not realise it was uh, not acceptable in this country. But if that is the case, I apologise. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I just want to see him, you know, outside. Japanese training with a pair of binoculars. <laughs> Looking in. Look, imagine, I don't know what his next steps will be, but uh, I'm sure he, if the, the job's on offer for us, that he'll probably get snapped up somewhere else beforehand. I wonder what the player is that he would bring in out of the cold because there's always one with Bielsa. that He he, he does such like thorough scouting. That, you know, he'd be going through like MPL South Australia games from 2017 and picking somebody out that's our answer at left back or whatever. You know? Well, um, Vince Rigari said uh, Jason Cummings and Bielsa <laughs> is a match made in heaven. So that one <laughs> today, that's what. <laughs> imagine that in a parallel universe, mm. we would get, uh, yeah, Jason Cummings scoring goals at the at the next World Cup. We'll see. Arguably, what Australian football is more in need of though is, is a technical director. We had an article from from Vince this week saying the uh, the new head of. Aston Villa recruitment was was considered and turned down in in favour of Rob Sherman, who mm-hmm. infamously stormed out of the job after only six months and left a very long LinkedIn post in his in his wake, uh, decrying the state of a, of Australian football. And at the moment, we we've only got an interim. Um, Trevor Morgan, the Joey's coach, has basically taken over that position while the junior national teams are essentially dormant. But that won't be the case for much longer with COVID restrictions lifting. So. Someone's going to have to come in and, and run the show as, as technical director. And I think that impo- appointment, while it won't get as much publicity as, as whoever the coach is after Graham Arnold, is potentially more more important for the future of the game. Absolutely, and future of us too. It works with the junior development and getting all these players mm. on side and, and you know strategies and the rest of it. Correct. And he's doing wonderful things at Aston Villa. So in terms of uh, his recruits and what he's spending, uh, working within his own means and getting them sort of... Well, it helps when someone buys Drak Grealish for $100 million, You've got a bit more to play with. It's true. But we wanted to go three players for him. So that was, that was the whole... Yeah. Yeah, the whole point. You know, we, we're only going to sell him if we can, you know, replace three versions of him, you know, three three players a little bit cheaper. Interesting, um, you know, the, the wooders and cooders is always big in Australian football. We like to talk mm. about Bielsa and, and technical directors and, and the rest of it, what might have been. So um, we'll see. That I think what will happen is there'll be, there'll be, there should be a shake-up if we don't qualify. Um, on record, I don't think that we will, hoping that we will. I'm going to the Japan game and we'll be, we'll be um, obviously cheering us on, but it's going to be tough. 
And mm. then we need to look at what do we do. There'll be a few rolls up for grabs, a few uh, <laughs> a few job ads on Seek, I would think. Speaking of soccer selections, Cammy Devlin scoring on the weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw his, his tackle to win the ball yeah, and I he did. finished off the same move. I saw the highlights and they showed the goal and they said, actually, we need to show, show him getting the tackle first. And then there was the next uh, extended highlight. So, they, again, he's got to be in calculations because he wasn't last time. He Squaring up, up to an opponent about twice his size as well during that game. That's what you like to see. That's what we want. <laughs> if that's what we're going to sell ourselves on, having, you know, determination <laughs> and, and strength. So, yeah, good for him. Aussie Aussie battler spirit in spades. Got to get him in a Roos jersey, Cammy Devlin. And uh, speaking of Socceroos of the past, uh, we had uh, one of the members of the 1974 World Cup squad, uh, Jim Milosavljevic, leave us uh, recently. He was he was a goalkeeper, but not always a goalkeeper. Do you want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, I might um, just read out uh, his a brief part of his eulogy. Actually, that Football Victoria put up. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if um, First of all, we'll talk about the, the 74 Socceroos. It's not quite often mentioned, but when Australia qualified in 1974, there were only 16 teams at the World Cup, yeah. 16. England weren't one of them. So um, quite an amazing effort that we were one of the 16 in that World Cup, given that we struggled for so long to make it. And then obviously 06, and then moving into Asia, making it a little bit easier than mm-hmm. the passage for us. So it's quite the effort. So anyway, Jim was born in Melbourne in 1951 and just a year after his parents migrated from uh, Yugoslavia and he was also he played Australian rules football as well as as soccer and such uh, was his talent uh, soccer with Footscray just that um actually the Carlton uh, Australian Rules Club invited him to play in the under 19s as well pretty amazing talent mm. um he played for Victoria uh, played against a lot of the the touring teams which was uh, the the way it was was in the 1970s that would come through the state teams would play against them and uh, such his ability as the goalkeeper that he was called up into the 74 squad, um, one of only three non-New South Welshmen that made that, uh, that 74 squad. Um, after, after that, um, he had a hand injury and he became an outfield player. So uh, We often the, hear about outfielders becoming goalkeepers, you know, early in Barbieri their careers. And things like that, yes. But rarely do we see the other direction. No, so he... Um, he scored a goal as a as a sub coming on in, in 1975 and scored a winner against South Melbourne for Footscray Just. In an Ampol Cup final, no less. Correct, yeah. And then he played as an outfielder and then sort of he dropped down divisions in 1980, joined Carlton Serbia, who then became Ringwood United. But also post-playing, he uh, enjoyed a few years as a referee as well. And then he moved into work for the Victorian Soccer Federation uh, on their State League Management Committee in the 90s. And he was also chairman and a commissioner into the 2000s. And he passed away this week, age 70. So um, that's from Tony Pasoglia, the uh, Football Victoria historian. And mm-hmm. uh, we just pass on now condolences to his uh, family and friends. Well, goalkeeper, striker, player, coach, referee, administrator. He did every, everything in the game. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, how, why would you move into being a ref and then a, an administrator as well? Like if you, you've got to be putting yourself in the firing thick line, skin, then. thick skin. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, vale, Jim Milosavljevic. With that, we'll go to a break here on the Oz Football Hour and come back with more. We've got A League games to discuss, last minute winners, plenty of drama, and some wet weather as well. So stick around. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa. Unbelievable kick from Bobby. 
And we're back here on the Oz Football Hour on FNR Football Nation Radio. Get your questions or your comments in on the comments, uh, wherever you're watching from, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we're on YouTube as well, streamed live wherever you get it, or if you're even listening on the app. Uh, make sure you get in touch with the show. Give us a review. Give us a rating. And uh, we always love it when we, when we get interaction from the viewers. Uh, let's talk A-League. Uh, I think we'll start with the, the Pride game on Saturday night. Adelaide United 2, Central Coast Mariners 1. A great occasion at Highmarsh Stadium. A late winner from the young dynamo Nestori Iran Kunda. And a very good night for the city and the club. Uh, but Central Coast Mariners just keep copping late goals. It's just extraordinary. They are finding every way not to win at the moment. We talked about we talked about it with Dan Hall last week. You know, three or four they've lost points, dropped mm. points with late goals, and they did that again. Um, not VAR controversy during the week aside. Yeah, they're one nil up. So they had it. Uh, they one nil up. They saved a penalty. Um, Birigidi saved a mm. Craig Goodwin penalty as well. I keep saying Birigidi's the best goalkeeper in the league. So I latch onto any evidence to to back that up. Pretty handy. It was He's actually definitely the best shot stopper. Anyway, well, Goodwin's missed a few penalties that now with that um, with that stuttered run up. But if you watch Birigidi, never kept his kept his eyes on him the whole time and went the right way, and it was never going in. Really great save. Um, he is. He's an outstanding goalkeeper. So, I mean, they've got the tools. And then if you look at the the goal the Mariners scored, our man Jason Cummings, his little control and, he, and his he pass. He brought that ball out of the stratosphere. Fantastic. Like, that's what you want from bringing everyone else into the game, which is what he did. And um, looking good. But then Adelaide have found another 16-year-old who's come on late and scored the winner. So, just fantastic. Fantastic for... For the game and and that um, as a spectacle, the Pride game. It's unfortunate that's the only Pride game we had across the A League. Mm. Was just the one club hosting instead of a it. round. Yeah, it should be a round, I guess. I mean, it makes sense for Adelaide to kick it off. In fairness, with, with Josh Cavallo, yeah, yeah. it does. Um, they got a lot of prom- a lot of promotion and publicity within South Australia, which is great. So if we we did that and pushed that across all the states and mm. across the league, would be ideal. So maybe this is a a stepping stone for us, like the the one off. Uh, uh, jerseys as well, which looked really good. They looked fantastic. Yeah, so I want one. <laughs> yeah, so they'll, they'll bring that in. Hopefully, hopefully the the powers that be see that and say, "Hey, <laughs> this mm. is this might actually work." So it was a great spectacle, a great result for Adelaide. It's very disappointing for the Mariners again. Yeah, I mean the Mariners just can't seem to buy a result at the moment, and they always seem to to fold late in games. They've been so unlucky. You were watching on Tuesday night. Uh, last week, I did. Yes, just after we went off air, you jetted off to Amy Park to watch uh, Sean Evans make a meal of every VAR decision and leave Mariners fans fuming. We actually mentioned last week that perhaps the drinks break or the ad breaks could be done during VAR, and there certainly was enough time for some ad breaks. Five minutes, both times, I think it took um, to get to the wrong decision. Well, yes. Well, the VAR made the right decision by mm. call, as we said, calling back the ref. Hey, hey, mate, you need to look at this because I don't think. Mm. He's inside the box, or I don't think. Um, I think he did actually stand on his foot. So I think the VAR was actually correct in both. In my opinion, both those situations, the the ref coming back to look at it was was an interesting one, especially the second one because he took a long, long time to look at that Lecky and um, Miller incident. And at one stage, he was actually sort of half moving away, mm. like he he made a decision and then he came back again. So he was in two minds himself. So yeah, um, again, if you if you reverse those. Um, those penalty decisions, and maybe Mariners steal a win there, 3-2, potentially. 
This game against Adelaide, though, I thought they did themselves no favours with the way they, they defended that late set piece, the second ball into the box. I mean, talk about a young squad mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe that can be used as an excuse in, in certain scenarios for not having the experience and mental fortitude to see out games. But it was actually two of the more experienced players in Bozanic and, and Cy Goddard who were not tracking their players and young Dan Hall was left marking marking two. Yeah, we talk about youth, but the youth scored the winner for Adelaide. So, yeah. you know, you've got to counter, exactly, counter it somewhat. Yeah. So, you know, they need – I don't know what the deal is um, – They've all been late, injury time or 86 minutes plus. I think it's becoming a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for the Mariners now. They seem to get very antsy when it gets into stoppage time. I mean, this is Monday morning quarterbacking from me, reading the results and trying to interpret, but what else are we going to do? And, you know, it it seems as if they they conceded a few late and now they seem to get jumpy every time that the result's on the line because they're a team that don't usually get separation. They they don't – they they – or always competitive in games, but they're unlikely to have a two-goal cushion at really any, at any point stage this yeah. season. So it's always in the balance, and you know they, they need to learn to see these games out. I'm not sure what's involved in that. Maybe they need to embrace the dark arts a little bit more and uh, be a little less honest. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Um, uh, we may, we've mentioned it before when sometimes when teams are out of form and they start mm. playing a, a lower team, and we've been quite the kiss of death when we did that, saying, you know, the victory we're playing the Wanderers and ended up losing, but um, Mariners host Brisbane Raw this coming Saturday. So um, weather permitting, obviously, in, uh, in New South Wales, maybe that's the chance to get back on track. I also feel as if they seem to be dropping the defensive line late in games and playing quite deep. Um, you know, maybe that's not applicable for the, for the victory result. I guess that was a, that was a break. Um, you know, they, just, but I, I do think they, they defend well on the front foot and when they, they go away from that and stop... Uh, put applying pressure to the ball and start giving the opposition space to come at them. It's asking for for trouble. Yeah, I look, they're, they're second last on the ladder. I don't think they're the second worst team in the comp. So I, I think this ladder is very deceptive. To it, be honest, it is very deceptive. I mean, it's starting to even up. When we talk about the the Feb football frenzy, we were we were going to have ten games from last week to now. We got eight because of the weather. Um, the fixture's been updated. There's a lot of Wednesday games to come up, but it's actually getting quite close now. I think. Uh, Perth Glory played 11, and I think Melbourne City 15, Adelaide United and Sydney FC 15. So there's four games sort of gap between the most and the, and the least, but it's getting tighter. I don't think Central Coast need – they're probably mid-table to pushing into the six, to be honest. Well, I, I think there's a clear worst team in the league at the moment, and that's Perth Glory. But going home now with the border reopening, maybe just the difference in morale and the difference of having a home ground advantage when you haven't had him for so long – makes the difference for that side. I, I thought they were atrocious against West United. I really thought that was a t- terrible performance and they looked totally directionless and rudderless uh, with Brandon O'Neill starting on the bench. They had no midfield. There were players, square pegs in round holes all over the pitch. I, I thought that was just a horrendous coaching job by, by Richard Garcia against Western United. And Western United fans making the most noise. I mean, it was in Tasmania. We're closer mm. to Melbourne it's for their sort of home game. Yeah, they were, they were not very, much noise to be made. No, to be fair, that's what I mean. in that last minute Tassie game, <laughs> very. Um, they've been poor. They've been poor. Let's hope though. So they they're back to Perth for the first time since round one. They play Adelaide on on the on the on the Sunday actually yep. Sunday night. So um, let's hope that uh, the Perth public will say right. The guys are coming home. They've put in a, a massive effort for the last four months. They've had to quarantine here and there. 
a lot of issues, not coming back for Christmas and the rest of it, and look after them. So they had a massive crowd in, in round one. And if we go back to last season, if we remember Wellington Phoenix when they got that one home game back um, and the crowds came out in droves for it. So maybe absence makes the heart grow fonder. Unfortunately, their draw card for round one, Daniel Sturridge, doesn't look like to be playing for a little while yet. Uh, another, another injury. It's so curious. I mean, we, we pinpointed this, myself and Lockie, in our preview show at the start of the season. It looked like an unbalanced team. Uh, when you've got most of the salary tied up in uh, the Spanish guy they signed, his name mm-hmm. temporarily escapes me because he's barely yeah. seen the pitch, uh, Keo, Fornaroli, Sturridge, you've got all these forwards in the side, and then just loads of fullbacks. Mm. You know, you've got Rawlins, Otter, Clisby, uh, Burt Gilroy, I think is best as a wing back or a fullback as yep. opposed to a winger. I just don't think I just don't think you can start Burt Gilroy and Clisby on the wings in a four three three and expect to get away with it, you know. And even and even up front too, like they're, they're clearly just gonna need the the one like Bruno has been subbed off for Andy Keogh most of the time. Or mm. trying to get Sturridge into the mix there as well. It's just not an efficient use of resources. No, it's not. And Bruno played has played the last three Three full ninety minutes, they said on the on the call. So he's played he's played every game. So he's he's dying for a rest as well. Uh, I watched the Wednesday night game. Um, I watched Western United Sydney here in in Melbourne, and then I got home mm. and I was just going to have a rest. And then I saw they said Sturridge is coming on for the second half, and I got a little interest in in the marquee or the guest player. So I put yeah. it on to to watch him there. And eighteen minutes, he did his groin and had to be subbed off. Not been a good advertisement for the. For no, the, and the marquee phenomenon. When do they when do they cut their losses with this? To be honest, um, I think I'd, like he's had he's had COVID. He's had three stints in quarantine. He was triple vaxxed. He had to spend two weeks in Perth before you know when he was you know the funny guy on social media and needed to find the barber and the rest of it and took all those selfies in round one and then it's just there's been nothing. Like he's had a couple of shots, a free kick and. And Mr. Mr. Sitter a few weeks back, but it's he really hasn't fired a shot in anger. He must be taking up a lot of coin mm. for the glory. Hadn't played for fourteen months prior to this as well, so the gamble hasn't paid off. I wonder what the dollar per minute ratio of Surridge salary is going to be at the end of the year. You know, yeah. Uh, look, it's is it time for them to get mutual? How many Liverpool fans are there in Perth that are going to come to the game for the selfies coming up that are going to recoup the money that they've lost having to spend, play games in Tassie and around the East Coast and stuff? Like it's a, it's a and fair if he's question. even fit for those games. No, so Tony, can... Tony Sage, is, they're hemorrhaging money with this whole mm. season and they've just spent whatever it is on the outside the cap for this marquee. That's just not... It was foreseeable as well. He's got a terrible check and injury history. He has, the English patient. That's He is. Um so it's interesting, but but what do you do? Do you say right? No, we're sticking with him because what he adds to us promotional wise, they haven't missed out on because of all the COVID mm. issues. Um, it's a really it's a real tough one. I I can't if he's done his groin, he's not he's not coming back for three month, to three yeah. or four weeks, right? Minimum. And given his history, they probably mm. add a couple of weeks to that yeah, as well because he so, doesn't play unless he's one hundred percent fit. As yeah, we know. That's, that's right. And the season finishes end of April, so we've got two months to go. Mm. You're right, it's running out of time. They're running out of time. Perth are going to have to cram all their game, games in as well. But Sturridge can't play every three days. No, it's yeah, right. even if he is fit. So. Yeah, play, well, now we might be able to play the home games because he can't fly four mm. hours and play. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a disaster. It is. Well, I, I do feel for the glory because the, the fact that they've played one game at home and they've been over over the east eastern part of the, mm. the country, it's it's been very very tough for them. Let's hope they can turn it around. They're going to burgle a few wins at home. With the class of Fornaroli and Keo up front, they, get, they are going to pinch some wins. Mm. Um, 
it won't be enough to, to make a little dent in there towards the finals, I would have thought. I don't think we made enough of Viran Kunda's uh, winner mm-hmm. and his impact this season. Two goals, both of them absolute screamers, one of them a free kick and now this absolute thunder bastard of yep. a shot that actually broke the net. We, I didn't see that, really. So yeah. there was a, a picture that did the rounds on social media afterwards and the net is just, you know, Costa Barbarossa's net repair style, yeah, nice just just hanging off the <laughs> the corner of the goal uh, in the immediate aftermath. I don't even know if they bothered, bothered to fix it because... Uh, it was so late in the game. It was basically the last kick. Uh, but that was the velocity on that ball. Uh, you know, I think it, there was nothing wrong with the way the net was installed. It was just the most powerful shot that anyone's hit all season. It was amazing. Yeah. he um, And the ba- and the backflip was great as well. Yeah, the celebrations were great and the crowd in front of them, you mm. know, the active support and the rest of it. It was a fantastic goal. And that's the highlights we want. That's what you and I want. Is a, This is a development league. We want mm. young kids coming into the teams and doing that at the at the death and, and you know, elevating us, the excitement level. We want to talk about these guys and, and these kind of goals, you know. We don't want to talk about aging stars and their injuries. We want to talk about goals yeah. like that. So it was fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was super happy to, to see that. And I, I hope he continues to get a bit of buzz to go, you know, with the performances and the and the goals. You know, he's he's a bit part player at the moment at Adelaide. You know, there's a lot of lot of contenders for yeah. those wing positions. Um, probably the strongest area of the team or the or the deepest area of the squad. Um, but he, he he looks the business in uh, in the small snippets we've we've seen of him. And I, I think there's something to be said for a player so young who clearly embraces the spotlight in that way. We talked about Volpato, which got all the attention mm. before, but um, the African-Australians that are coming into mm. the A-League. I mean, Particularly out of South Australia. Absolutely, coming out of Adelaide, like the, the Toure's and, and, and the like. But what are we doing in regards to their allegiances with potential? That's a good segue. <laughs> I thought so. That's what I brought it up. <laughs> so uh, someone in the know, in the, the Qual clan, has, has tweeted out that uh, Alu and Teng... Um, the two two of the brothers, mm-hmm. two of the five, I believe, uh, have been included in South Sudan's World Cup qualifying squad. Um, so, you know, they're, they're potentially uh, in danger of, of defecting. I think they need three or four games under their belt now yeah. in, at a competitive level to com- to permanently cap-tie them to, to South Sudan, but particularly in Alu's case... He's playing at a decent level in in Germany, yeah. Zwei Bundesliga. Soundhausen on loan, of course, from from Stuttgart. That's uh, that's a big loss. It will be a big loss. I mean, most of the uh, sorry, a lot of the South Sudanese players are Australian based that mm. they've brought through Kenny a few and, and and sort of these guys. There was five or six, I think, Australian based players in the last. A lot of them in the NPL. A lot as of well. NPL as well. But McCare, McCare, for example, organised football, um, getting them through development, that kind of thing. But I'm not sure what we're doing um, to talk to the other African Australians that may have um, allegiances to different countries of what we can actually do to say, you know, because are South Sudan going to make the World Cup? Well, no, not in the immediate term. No, that's correct, right? So if you want to sell the dream of a potentially, well, Australia's going to make the World Cup, but you want to sell the dream of Asian Cup and, and qualification mm. and the rest of it playing in front of you. Well, South Sudan don't generally family. qualify for AFCON either. Yeah, so. that's right. So we need to be doing, I think we need to be doing a lot more to try and uh, 
encourage these guys. You to know stay what? With what us. is part of the problem is the fact that we haven't had any junior national team fixtures to call these guys up for and make them feel like they're part of the fold. We you know, because get... Alu's yep. definitely a youth international. He's yes. not a senior international yet, no. but he's a youth international for sh- for sure. And that's yeah, that's correct is what we need. Youth development. We talk about youth development a lot, and and that needs to happen because I don't think. I, I honestly think Football Australia have been sitting on their hands in regards to the, the youth national teams. Maybe it's because of the dual role that Trevor Morgan's playing at the moment. Uh, maybe it's because of a lack of funds to stage games. But, it, you know, other youth national teams around the world have started up their programs again. and We seem to be lagging behind in, in terms of... Massive, because the, the funnel of players from participation through to the elite level hasn't changed for us. If not, it's probably got better. Like We always sell participation, participation mm-hmm. as the, you know, that's yeah. the main selling point for football but when it gets to the development of youth players so we're talking these 16 to 22 mm. that's where they're going that's where that's where we're sort of missing out so we, that's we, the performance gap yeah correct and that's what we, what we love seeing these guys into the the a-league and, and performing but you know they're, they're still kids they're still learning so they can't sort of develop so much they're gonna have cameos and the rest of it and then push them through so we'll see how we go um yeah, there's there's other there's other players with African heritage that there's mm. they've sort of mentioned as well that uh, are the chance to go down that path too, and international football is international football. You know, you just say that you're an international footballer rather than a club mm. footballer is pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean we shouldn't uh, disrespect, I guess, the the dream of playing for you know the, the country of, no, of birth or heritage yeah. as well. Like, that can be a big deal for some players, and it's, very, it's a deeply personal thing. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder whether there could be potentially a, I guess, power play here to put them more in the conversation for the Australia team, particularly in Alu's case. Because you see the buzz that yeah. Volpato's got just because he's eligible for Italy and it yeah. feels urgent. Yes. Well, that, the only difference between that is that, you know, you, you've got a football, a recognised World Cup winning nation like Italy versus South Sudan that aren't going to make haven't made World Cups, yeah. you know, in the past. And that's the, the reason the publicity is there, so I guess. But it'll be interesting to see. We need to we need to keep developing our youth players. We can develop youth players. We need to get them to that next level, get them to Germany, get them to Italy, and then have them come back when they're, they're good enough to play for the national team, if that's mm. what they desire. Have them back playing for the for the Oli Roos and the, and the Joeys. And yeah, and the Young and, so and the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, we'll have to wait and see whether uh, Alu Kual is, is lost to the, the national team. I mean, he's definitely a, a prospect at this point, but um, you know, I don't, I don't think this necessarily rules him out. Um, just because he's been he's been called up for for a qualifier, even if he gets on the field, it doesn't technically rule him out um, in terms of the FIFA rules and where they're at these days. Um, but we'll polish off the A League games before we go to a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Orr's stunning goal in the two-two draw with Newcastle probably wasn't even the biggest story to come out of that game. But uh, what a strike! That volley was unbelievable. It was unbelievable, and second week in a row for Tommy as well. So he scored a, another a cracker before that. So that's handy form. They've got the they've got the talent, Macarthur. Mm. They do. They've got a lot of ability with him just sort of running through and, and scoring like that. I mean, he seems to have always played better when he hasn't been on the wing. For, for, throughout his career for, for mine, Tommy Orr, he's had his best club football when he was playing as a number 10 uh, in, in Holland, uh, in, in the Netherlands. And now he's playing as a central midfielder at MacArthur rather than out on the wing. And I think, you know, at this point in his career, he's probably lost a yard of his pace that he had when he was much younger. And I think that's that's potentially benefiting him. Of course, it's easy to overanalyze based on, you know, two awesome goals in two weeks. But. No, but you might be right because he was... Um 
his his uh, left foot and his height. I think it was at pace. Utrecht where he yeah. had ten or twelve assists for the season, playing as a number ten. Hmm. He's got he's got quite a, a culture of left foot, and I guess he he sort of slipped out of relevance when he was in the mire of the the Mariners' worst years and yeah. and so forth. But he he seems to have uh, had something of a renaissance this season. He has, which is um, which is good for him. But I, I think you're right. He might, he was probably pigeonholed because of his height and his pace and that left left foot sort mm. of um, centering ball. Um, no, fantastic goals from Tommy Orr. Hopefully, it continues for MacArthur, who are quietly just sort of sneaking their way through up the ladder. There, they're third in the third they had the ladder. A big blip. They started the season amazingly well. Had a mm. big blip, and then now they're getting results again. You know, I still don't. Love watching them, but they've been a little bit more entertaining in recent weeks. Craig Noon's playing very well. Yeah, they've got a trip to Melbourne um, coming up, victory, and then uh, Melbourne City as well. But, yeah, they, they have talent. If you look at the players, mm. if you don't look at formations and tactics and strategies, you just look at their players, then, yeah, they should be thereabouts come uh, the pointy end. Been one of the most difficult teams to get a read on all season. <laughs> Absolutely. Newcastle Jets. Uh, Always exciting, always temperamental and unpredictable uh, with their results. They they seem to be involved in the most entertaining games of the season without necessarily getting wins on the board. Yeah, own goals and, and, mm. and the rest of it. And, right. yeah, coughing up leads, individual mistakes at the back. Yep. It must be a frustrating experience for, for Arthur Pappas uh, coaching that team. Uh, but they, they have brought in Brandon Wilson, uh, Ollie Roos player, of course, uh, has the Botswana eligibility, and he's <laughs> always talked go. about nice. in Botswana, yep. apparently, yes. yep. uh, which is a nice little tidbit. Uh, but he's he's going to fill a void for them, potentially at right back or in central midfield. Uh, but the story come out of this one was the uh, the Ukraine tribute from Georgian striker Becker Mikultadze after he scored the penalty, unveiling a, a t shirt he had stashed behind the goal with. Uh, a heart in Ukraine colours and then a Ukraine flag underneath it and obviously meant a lot to him because he comes from a place that was invaded by Russia in 2008. So he, there are a few individuals uh, in the Australian football sphere who, who could empathise to such an extent. Yeah, and, and um, I think Simon Hill said it on uh, Offside as I saw him say that the FIFA will actually overlook. They don't normally like this sort of politicised um, statements, but they'll overlook a lot of these ones that have been going on in, in world football all the way around. Milos uh, Ninkovic played over 100 games in Kiev as well, in the Ukraine as that's well. True. So he has, um, um, I think, outside of Sydney FC, that's the most club football he's played for. So he would have a, a, a link there as well. But it was a, a wonderful tribute. Um, yeah, it really was. Um, obviously someone that lives nearby and can and can really uh, empathise with this situation. But um yeah, I don't. Yeah, there'll be no sanctions or anything like that. It was just a wonderful moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and our hearts go out to, to anyone affected, of, of course. But uh, Mikkel Tadze has been one of my favourite additions to the league mm. this year. He's so uh, he's a, he's a striker that always imposes himself and involves himself in the game, and he's second on the goal tally. He is. He's only two behind uh, J Mac. He uh, snuck up there recently. Yes, well, he keeps sneaking goals here and there. He's, you know, he's just probably under the radar a touch, but yeah, he's uh, he's definitely been uh, in pretty good form. Well, I think that's uh, all the A-League action done, so we'll take a break. We've got more to talk about on the other side, including the AFC National Second Division Report. Uh, So stick around here on the Oz Football Hour for more. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah, man. 
Messi again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. And we're back here on the Oz Football Hour on FNR Football Nation Radio. Josh Parrish with Jason Goldsmith. One more A-League game to talk about from the week that was. Sydney FC 1, Melbourne City 2, a 91st-minute Matt Leckie winner, sending all three points uh, to uh, City's way after Milos Ninkovic had equalised. The opening goal was an own goal. Uh, comedy of errors, really, uh, and rebounded off the luckless Paolo Retro. Uh, so, Melbourne City pinch a pretty valuable win on the road. Uh, I didn't think this was a great game. I, I was watching the Adelaide I Central Coast the, match. I watched this one. I should have watched the other one. <laughs> um, yeah, the conditions weren't good. Obviously, a lot of rain uh, mm. around Sydney. That's been well. the story of the week, really. Mm. The uh, torrential downpours, uh, in, especially in Queensland. A lot of pitches getting damaged as well up there. Yeah, and um, and hopefully uh, everyone who's listening from Queensland and the and northern New South Wales safe and uh, and well, and everyone uh, can look after each other. It's pretty it's pretty tough. Yeah, some of those pictures, the pictures of all of them underwater, and then the synthetic mm. pitch that's been sort of ripped through as yeah, well. Yeah, one and a half million dollar synthetic pitch at Mitchelton, I think it was. It was yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's a torrential downpours wreaking havoc. We're going to talk more about that on uh, on Radio Dub with one of the matches that's going on at the moment not being telecast. Uh, so, you know, got less competition for ratings, but uh, still not good for the comp. Uh, we'll save that for, for Radio Dub. But this game uh, in, the, in the torrential rain, I think the st- standard suffered as a result. It did, and Sydney were the better team. I thought Sydney were the better team for most of the game. They're just quite um, – they can't finish it off. Uh, in in the front third, and and they were like that during the week too mm. against Western United when I watched them as well. They've got the talent there for sure, and I had a look and it was really quite surprising me. They've only won four games of the fifteen they've played this season. Like they should have taken the the draw for this one. Um, Leckie's winner very very late made the difference, but yeah, City definitely burgled the the three points on Saturday night. So Sydney, yeah, four out of fifteen. They're still sixth on the ladder and can change that and turn it around, but. Uh, yeah, they haven't been uh, as strong as we've uh, are used to, I guess. Yeah, I think they're they're suffering in in midfield to an extent. You know, I, I like Burgess playing there, but mm. um, you know, he's they're going to suffer defensively uh, with him in that position. So it's a trade off. You know, his attempt to to block the the lucky winner, although it was from outside the box, of course, yes. uh, wasn't. Uh, you could argue maybe uh, was it Andrew Red? Yeah, Andrew Redmayne was starting for Sydney again, which yes. is another talking point. Maybe should have had that one covered. Uh, Leckie's goal. Leckie's goal hit the upright and then bounced. Yeah, in. but so it was his near post yeah, as well. True. I thought it was pretty well, pretty well struck. Leckie is in great form, which is good for the soccer mm. and for us. He's, he's starting to really put it together. He's scoring nearly every week now. That's true. He has had a lot of good chances fall to him recently. Mm-hmm. He hasn't finished all of them. Uh, that that Paolo Retro own goal was actually what should have been a tap-in for Leckie, Correct, and he hit yeah. it straight at the goalkeeper, then bounced off a defender and then in. So uh, I'm not convinced that, you know, he's in firing form and is back to his best necessarily. He's making the impact that everyone expected him to make when he signed for City, and it's just taken him a while to get up to speed. I think it's probably his last roll of the dice for the Socceroos too. So you have a few more years at, at Melbourne City, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, last sort of uh, World Cup cycle for him, he would have mm. thought, having played the last couple. Mm. Um yeah, and the rain rain was no good, and the the league did the right thing, I guess, rescheduling the Brisbane Melbourne victory game on Friday night because of the rain down to Melbourne, and then uh, Brisbane players couldn't get here. 
yeah, they couldn't take off with the floods. So there's just no chance of getting a flight, uh, which meant that this game is going to be rescheduled for a, a well, to a third time, which means that Victory have this horrendous run of games in March. They're going to be playing seven times, including the Asian Champions League fixture. It is crazy. I mentioned it earlier as well. So they've rescheduled a lot of the games for March and April, and there's a lot of Wednesday games. So it's not quite the the football friends that we had in Feb, but we're looking at, you know, two to three. Well, there's a game tomorrow night, then next Wednesday there's three games. So they're really trying to get it all in so that the season will finish, you know, sort of end of April. But, yeah, that's a big, big effort. Um, big effort for them. We'll see how they go. Yeah, it's it's a massive effort. Uh, we've seen how the Victory women's team has struggled with the number of games that they've had to play in a short space of time. And it's a similar situation for the men playing Friday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday in a row. Uh, and, you know, there, there's some tough games in there as well. City, Sydney FC, Western United, MacArthur, uh, Vissel Kobe, of course, <laughs> <laughs> coming up against Iniesta. Uh, it, that one's TBC on uh, on the venue, but it should be away from home based on the Vissel Kobe being the seeded team. So they have to fly to Japan and back on a three-day turnaround, which mm. well, is it insane. Is the, it is the season of rescheduled matches. They'll probably change that over, I would have thought. It's crazy to think, you know, we're getting back on track with all the COVID games and now we have floods stopping us and, and mm. bad weather and the rest it of it. It seems almost biblical, doesn't it? Oh, it's crazy. So <laughs> The season is cursed. The mice plague didn't, didn't cause any games to be, <laughs> to be called off. Locusts may be on the way. But, yeah, there's still a lot of football to go. They've still got to cram it all in for, for the A-League men's and women's. Maybe we can uh, name the next expansion team after the the plague, Locust FC. <laughs> the Logan Locusts. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about the national second division uh, report that came out just as we went to air last week, so we mm-hmm. weren't really able to get across it. Uh, but the plan is to have between twelve and sixteen teams playing in truly national competition, uh, as opposed to the Champions League or Conference style format that has been mooted by. Um, by Football Australia. They've they've put it out, the report, with the pros and cons of these models. And uh, this is, of course, only a lobby group, essentially, yeah. this, this group of clubs. It doesn't mean that the National Second Division is limited to this group of partner clubs that have signed up. Um, it doesn't mean that their recommendations will be taken on board. It's just uh, basically the, the MPL teams who are ambitious and do want to be a part of it have got together to pitch something and the final decisions will all be made by by Football Australia for potentially a, uh, a late 2023 start, which is uh, pretty soon, really. It's, it's, it needs to happen. There's a market for it, uh, how it gets off the ground. There's too many people with sort of self-interest to try and either stop it or, you know, to want to change the rules and things. But I guess the report we saw last week, though, um, Minimum of 12, getting to 16 teams pretty quickly. Um, there's about 30 clubs that have signed off on it. So they're also the leading clubs for each state. So you've got clubs with NSL history. You've got clubs with sort of long um, long, long history of, of being involved with the game. There's always – they've all got their own unique supporters as well. So it's not going to bastardize the, mm. the current supporters in the game. Is venues for it. I think some of the things that, that struck me for it, you know, each club needs to have a venue that holds 3,000 people, mm. more than achievable at the moment with a lot of their NPL clubs. Um, uh, bringing I assume in, that's standing room included. 
Oh, you would well. It has to be. I mm. would suggest that would be the case, but that's fine. Um, and a women's team as well, which is magnificent. I think that was the, the that has to be part of the process as well. Yes, and there's a aim to get the women's national second division off the ground by 2026. Okay, that is an even bigger undertaking, I think, because so many of the players that make up the MPL teams from across the country, the play best MPL team, yeah. play in the A League women's as well. Mm. So that that presents a dilemma as to whether you stage concurrent seasons in the women's national second division or not, uh, whether you allow players to play in both competitions, whether you completely dilute the quality by doing that, whether it's actually a necessary step for the game, even though there will be pain in the short term. Yep. That's that's a massive overhaul. But for the men's side of things, when you've got MPL players who don't obviously play in the A-League as well, you don't have this situation where players are two-timing, essentially, um, then I, I honestly think it's a, it's a no-brainer to have the best of the MPL players playing against each other in a national competition week to week Absolutely. if the clubs are willing to meet those costs. Well, it's $100,000 was also mentioned, wasn't it? Each club mm-hmm. had to put that as an as a, um, admittance fee for yep. the season as well. So that, would, you would think, would go to the league so then automatically you can... Well, the idea I think is to pull pull travel costs yeah. so that you know the one Perth team perhaps if if they do get in, um, you know, isn't completely slugged every week and it doesn't create this uh, complete inequality with the concentration of Sydney and Melbourne teams. Yeah, that's it. We don't, we don't want what are they all talk about NPL on planes. Like we, we don't want that to happen. We want it to well, be. Well, you know what? I, I, NPL on planes is essentially what the A-League Women's is because it's not a full time competition. Yeah. So. You know, I think there is some virtue in in having a part time national league, but you do want to increase the standards when when you do go national. You know, in terms of training and coaching and broadcast and everything. You, you would think that would happen. So broad, broadcasting is an interesting one too because there's a market for it. I mean, you're an NPL commentator, you know, Josh. There's a market for mm. it, so that'll definitely happen. The people that want to support the club that their parents and their grandparents and, and families have supported, or if they have and allegiance through um, the ethnic backing of a lot of these clubs as well. Um, There's that that wants to be recognised again or um, brought to the table. So it's – I don't – to be honest, it needs needs to happen. It needs to happen yesterday. So it's it's good that we're making steps. But the AAFC now need to get – was it Football Australia or the APL to – Football Australia. Football Australia to to get this approved – but the uh, APL would never approve it because it's not in their interest yeah. and they don't have a role in it based yep. on the the, con- the uh, Congress negotiations and uh, the, the deals that were struck a couple of years ago. These guys will focus on youth more than anything, mm. more than we get from the A-League clubs, I would thought, because of the, the transfer system they want to bring into play as well. So that would be the case where if there is a, a good player in uh, Perth or a good player in Sydney that they Adelaide City or whatever wants to, to bring in and then pay for it and then they have to pay the appropriate transfer fees and then the clubs get compensated they can reinvest into the youth football mm. so the whole the whole process just makes so much sense um it's funny though like, someone mentioned I heard the other week the J League started professionally in 1993 with one division and they've got three divisions of professional clubs now right so that's not that long ago so we're looking at 30 mm. years. The A League's seventeen years old now, and we've got one twelve teams. We're twelve teams, so we've moved from eight to twelve. So um, we and need, a few of them collapsing along the way as well. Yeah, a couple of them falling through, but twelve teams. We've got the ability to do it. There's what thirty clubs that want to put their hands up for a national second division. So 
let's get this second division off the ground and roll into a third, and then we can uh, go from there. One tidbit that did raise my eyebrows in the report was that they'd had conversations with SBS, wow. which is a real throwback. Uh, well, they, well, yes, absolutely, but that couldn't be a bad thing. The more the more coverage over different channels, the the better, I guess. I I do. I am surprised by that. Perhaps you know this this produces a different prospect to broadcasting A League for them, but mm. you know they have completely gutted their football department. The world game no longer exists. Yep. It's been Website's folded into done. SBS yep. Sport. They basically don't cover football anymore. Mm-hmm. They have shown no appetite editorially from SBS Sport to cover football. So to then step in as a national second division broadcaster would be a big uh, fork in the road for... Well, they have the World Cup, don't they? They've still, they still got the World Cup, right? That is so, true. That so is they, true. They have the World Cup this this year coming up, so mm. they will need someone to, your fingers crossed. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah, so they still have that. So there might be a hangover mm. and there'll still be a couple of people that might need some... Jobs <laughs> or something for them to do the next year. If we're looking at twenty twenty three, it's not um it's not that far away because the World Cup is uh, is November, isn't it? November December. Yeah, it's coming up it, this year. Because it's of the up on us. because of the um because of the weather, the, the so, Qatar yeah. situation. Yeah, because of the weather, it'll roll into it. So you know they, they probably need to relook at their football department coming into the World Cup and then see what they can do. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I I would be honestly surprised, but uh, it would be a pleasant surprise. Um, let me be clear, but I, I did, did raise my eyebrows because they just haven't really shown much appetite in showing Australian domestic. No, football. I would have thought Paramount would have come on board, given mm. they're wanting a lot of football content moving. I mean, Stan bid for the like A League as well, yeah. um, and there's also a whole lot of different streaming platforms and we, things they we, could have it publicly available on YouTube, yeah. essentially, or we could, do with another, TV. we could do with paying for another streaming service to watch football, couldn't we? There's only four or five. <laughs> uh, who says Who says it has to be a pay per? No, no. That's, you know, well, if they're smart, user pays model. If if they're smart, it won't be because we want to just expose it. Right? We want to see eyeballs. Mm. We just want eyeballs at the moment. Free to air. That would be a point of difference oh, for the. Not sure it's free A-League. to air. Yeah, but YouTube more, yeah. more than free to air, perhaps. Free to web. <laughs> free to web. Yeah, that will work. All right, we're going to tie it off there here on the Oz Football Hour. Jason, thank you for your company. Thank you, Josh. And uh, we'll stick around for Radio Dub. We've got a superstar from Adelaide United, uh, Matilda's fringe player and a real star in this league, uh, hopeful for the World Cup next year. Dylan Holmes is going to be joining us in the next hour on Radio Dub, so stick around for that. Victory looking to build. Barbaroussis is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbaroussis. Wow. Yeah. I've won a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again. Oh, he's done it. Unbelievable kick. Come on here.